Welcome to the College Commons Podcast, passionate perspectives from Judaism's leading thinkers, brought to you by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion, America's first Jewish institution of higher learning. My name is Joshua Holo, Dean of HUC's Jack H. Skirball Campus in Los Angeles, and your host. Welcome to the College Commons Podcast. This is Joshua Holler, your host, and I'm really pleased to introduce you to Andrew Rayfeld for a discussion about campus speech and politics. President Rayfeld comes to us from the St. Louis Federation and from Washington University in St. Louis. Andrew, President Rayfeld, thank you for joining us. It is a pleasure to be here. So free speech is indeed a pretty messy topic insofar as universities, even public universities, are not actually required to allow any kind of speech at any time. The scholar Sigal Ben-Porath, she is a scholar at the University of Pennsylvania, and she wrote a book on free speech on campus and puts forth these two cardinal virtues, being free expression and intellectual candor. You know, to what extent are those two pieces valuable and of value at our institution? I mean, my own view is they have to be very, very high, possibly the bedrock of our institution within that if we're not actually committed to that, not only are we not committed to the aims of higher education, any kind of higher ed, but we're also particularly not committed to the foundational um, principles of Reform Judaism. We're not ideologically rigid, but we ought to create a culture in which there is um, intellectual candor. The free expression is where I get uh, hung up. I actually get more hung up on the candor because the candor implies that you're revealing something of yourself which could make you vulnerable. But free expression, you could uh, have a thought experiment and express freely a very, very controversial idea in some kind of, um, you know, soundproof uh, idea room. And but if you're really being frank about. Uh, about yourself, you could get yourself into hot water, or at least you can imagine scenarios in which the religious commitments and the enlightenment commitments might come into more. If you think of HUC as a still small place in a very big world in which we are developing leadership and developing rabbis and cantors and educators and nonprofit professionals, right? And we use this space to create a shield against the world that our students are going to be entering into, then we create that space where you can have, I would say, intellectual candor and really be vulnerable. We can really try on ideas without consequences beyond the what the ideas would um, would lead to. And you can see where they go. I, I agree. We, we agree in the in what's desirable and I think achievable. I don't think it's it's uh, and I think it is by and large indeed achieved. Actually, mm-hmm. it's, it's lived. But I think that that's where the vulnerability lies, yeah. is in the candor because of the ideological overlay. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's candor pushing, pushing up against what? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. In a secular university, in theory, you're not pushing up against anything because anything goes, at yeah. least in theory. But in a, in a seminary, there actually is a there there that, that establishes parameters. So do you think our students, like if a student came in and said either of the following two statements. I believe God gave Torah at Sinai, and we are obligated to follow that law, and I'm here as a Reformed Jew to figure out how to do it in the face of modernity. That's statement one. And statement two, I believe Jesus was the Son of God in the way that Christians say that he was, and I'm here as a Reformed Jew to figure out how my Judaism can fit with that. Now, first of all, 
are both of those beyond the bounds of what would be acceptable ideology? I mean, in some ways you'd have to say yes for both, but in very different ways. You would have to say yes for both from opposite tacks. But in fact, I will tell you that we have said there's no problem with the first. Uh, so just to in, be clear, there's no problem in practice with a student coming in saying, I believe God gave Torah to Moses and Mount Sinai, in fact. And we've got to figure it we out. Gotta, we've got to figure it out, and I'm obliged to follow it, and I'm here as a reformed Jew to figure out how to follow it. Right. And so, yeah, yes. There's no problem with the student saying that. It, there, there was no problem when the student said it. And if a student came in and said, I believe Jesus is the Son of God in the way Christians say that he is, and I'm here as a reformed Jew to figure that out as to how it yes. can fit it in, we would have a problem with that. That's right. We would put a limit on that. Now, these are sociological distinctions. They're not, in fact, principled ones. So let's bracket this conversation, which depends a lot on getting into the technicalities of what the word Messiah means, what its Greek origins are, what the um, what Jewish theology says in each of these pieces. Let's just have a category called Christian belief about Jesus. And I know there's a lot of nuance right. there. Let's just... For the, for the lay person. Okay, so stuff okay. that really is uh, statutorily unacceptable in Judaism. And let me just say that if any student came in and said, I believe in Jesus, and doesn't even fill it Qualified. out, yeah, it's like, a problem. I, I right. believe we, in Jesus, right. I think that we would say, whoa, this in is the, not in, the place In for some you. of our schools, we would say, yeah, whoa. Right. And if a student were here and said, I believe in Jesus... Correct. Praise Jesus and started right. yes. that free expression. All of that right. we candor would have a problem. and free expression, we would have a problem. We would have a problem. So there's a limit there. Now go on the other side. Yes. If a student said, "I believe God gave Torah to Moses at Sinai." Yes. That it obligates us down to the present day. Yes. And that my job as a reformed Jew is to figure out how to accept that obligation and live up to it to the best of whatever reform reading I give it. However, you, which to me is also an inconsistency. That's why I'm posing it. What do we do with that student? Okay, so there's two problems as I see it on the Sinai side, yep. the Sinai question. The If you want to talk about the inconsistency of feeling obligated to live up to that, that strikes me as one one set of problems. If, however, you want to talk about, talk about the irrationality of believing that God gave Torah to Moses literally uh, being to being Good. on, so we'll let's talk about up. let's talk about just the top of Sinai question, Good. just just the the communication of a specific Torah that is claimed interpersonally to have been given by God as to a Moses, real historic as an fact. historical fact, and you believe it because so of faith. The reason I believe that that did not pose a problem at the time is because we will revert to sociology and actually. We will get. We will privilege sociology over principle because sociologically it's acceptable. Nobody mourns the fact that the sociology trumps the principle. Right. Right. We don't think twice about it. Right. I mean, it's not that it was. It's not that it. In the case I'm thinking of, it's not that this this belief went unnoticed, mm -hmm. or nor did anyone fail to observe some of the problems it raises, or the, or its anomalousness in our ecosystem. All of those things were acknowledged with the person at the time, but in totally um, accepting ways. So, okay. So what if the student came in and said, uh, I'm here to be a good Reformed Jew because my rabbi told me to do so, and I do whatever my rabbi said, and um, now I'm going to, to learn, and I'm going to, but I'm going to check with my rabbi to see if I can accept that. I mean, and so, I'm giving a caricature. Right, right, of course. But no, let's just imagine that. What uh, would we do in that case? I would, based on my experience... Um, I would guess that if they were willing to be that explicit about it, thereabouts, mm -hmm. it would be that we would, we would not accept. 
right. in course of study, if this person evolves into these beliefs, or in the spirit of your original opener, in the spirit of, of candor mm-hmm. and free expression, they outed themselves yep. as believing these things. Mm-hmm. Wow. I don't, I mean, that, that strikes well, me. Especially as, since we're not dogmatic in terms of you have to believe certain dogmas, but I do think you have to believe certain dispositions about the world. I mean, whether to me, rationality is one of them. I get there's a yeah, motivation okay. understanding. Second one is moral autonomy. Your disposition that I retain my moral responsibility. Could you? Could we ordain you as a reform rabbi, somebody that got up and said, um, my responsibility is to follow what my rabbi has told me? Not, I, that's an, I don't know if... I personally, let's put it this way, I would, I perceive an irreducible conflict there. Yeah, yeah. But, but I have to say, Richard Levy of Blessed Memory, mm-hmm. a person whom I would characterize as more than any other single individual in our generation of great leaders, mm-hmm. shifted the reform conversation away Mm -hmm. from the hardline rationalism to a much softened, Mm -hmm. spiritualized version, Mm -hmm. he effectively straddled even this question about um, authority and autonomy Mm -hmm. in interesting ways because he he asks us to take mitzvah, commandedness, seriously and still doesn't fully relinquish autonomy. So couldn't you do that, though? consistent with autonomy that you you have a view of the moral world such that what is the good the right the just the sense of duty does obligate us as a as a feature of the moral universe but that authority is built to that is what it, having moral autonomy doesn't mean you do whatever you want to do it just means you are the judge of what your duties are and so the sense of reform obligation i've uh, I, I have had no problem with understanding being obligated to do yeah. good, the right, the just, but not based on the authority as the source of it. I mean, it's the Kierkegaard, it's the it's right, the right. I mean, it, you know, you can be obligated to do something, but not through right. Which is why in your has case, the authority to d- decide. The key to your case yeah. is that the student in question says. I'm going to ask my rabbi, whatever, ask my, whatever my rabbi, rabbi that's says. The, that that's the, the key to that's your... That's the problem. That's no, and a, I think... Richard, and the authority, by the way, the authority is who can decide yes, what to do, right. not who decides what is right or wrong. Because right. the point when moral autonomy doesn't mean, oh, I get to say what's good for me is good for me. So I get to be the judge of what the moral universe is, te- is, is obligating me to do. Before we return to the podcast, we want to let you know about digital learning on the College Commons platform. Beyond this podcast, which is available to the public at large, check out the online courses at collegecommons.huc.edu for in-depth learning, digital syllabi, assignments, inspiration for teaching, and one of our most influential courses called Making Prayer Real. Subscribe with your synagogue for all this and more. Just click Sign up at collegecommons.huc.edu. Oh, and one more thing. Help us out and rate us on iTunes. But whatever you do, do not give us five stars, unless we deserve it. Now, back to our podcast. So what's interesting just about this conversation is how we have gone into the whole area that I would say 
is not the area that our students are worried about feeling free expression or feeling intellectual Correct. candor. Correct. It's the place that it comes out mostly is, of course, in the political and the That's social. Right. Just That's right. And so let, let's think about it. I'm sort of curious because I am. Uh, I I think we are in a time that um, we are we have become hypersensitive to um, uh, the effect of language on people, and in some ways, it's a very good sensitivity to have. The sense that you can harm people with words is right. very powerful, and we need to be. And it's a very Jewish sensibility. It's a very it's Jewish a, sensibility, and I think that we need to always be reminding ourselves, and to the extent that we can raise awareness that the words that we use actually have a profound effect on others is important. The kind of trigger warning that I would want people to have entering HUC and in any serious place of study would be once a year a reminder that being an institute of higher learning, you will be confronted, sometimes in unexpected ways, with words and ideas that will make you feel uncomfortable. And here's how to think about that, and here's how to manage yourself when you get That's the key. It's the managing yourself. In the thing. Exactly. It's, it's, it's actually the, that, that's the yeah. key. That trigger warning, I suspect, would work when, upon being tested, it um, it is dealt with in constructive, socially acceptable, civil, um, not overstated ways. Yeah. And if you were to establish patterns of behavior mm -hmm. around this, then I think that that kind of trigger warning would not only suffice, but it would become increasingly unnecessary. Although, to be fair, it's less of a trigger warning than it is a, uh, we're about to enter into a 12-month conflict. <laughs> right. Just know that you might get hurt. <laughs> but I think that that's the right kind of thing because, you know, we spoke about this once to an audience at, at WashU, an incoming class of freshmen, and I said, you know, and, and I think it's particularly true here, we create safe environments for people, not so they, they, can, they can live cushy intellectual lives, we create right. the safety around it so that they can be supported in having hard conversations and not shutting down those conversations. That's and right. we need to create the culture in which the hardest ideas about our Jewish life, about our ethical life, about about peoplehood, about Israel, about Zionism, about uh, about politics in the world. We need to have people able to confront. We should talk about the Israeli plan. We will, but I just want to yeah. I want to point out that one of the great confluences of Jewish thinking and democratic thinking is the embrace of conflict as a potentially constructive thing. Yeah. This is conflict of ideas, I mean, and, 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 but, but committed conflict yeah. nonetheless. Yeah. The, the, both of these systems of thought and philosophy uh, presuppose that you need conflict to arrive at meaningful ideas and truths. And uh, that, is, that presupposition has weakened that we in 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 just polite conversation these days yeah, you can't that's right um, and, and so uh, all the more reason for us to take advantage of this moment to re up on the value of of well orchestrated and meaningful conflict there's got to be a reason we're creating safe spaces if we're not going to use them to actually right, in our exactly, case right. towards the virtue of in Ben Porath's framing intellectual candor and free expression to to point. So, so, yeah, so, yeah, I want you to weigh in on, on the state of Israel. 
Well, let's let's just talk. Let's start with the, with the <laughs> you Trump gotta come peace out plan. First. Okay, the Trump. Oh, you want me to weigh in on the state of Israel? No, no, no good but, thing. It's good I'm thing. pro. That's right, we're pro. <laughs> this is a PSA. Joshua Holden and Andrew Rayfeld are pro Israel. <laughs> um, I'm a declared Zionist. I mean, and I, I say that proudly, and I've written on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and this is where I think it's really important that HUC have create this space, safe space for our students internally. You can't view what's going on without the domestic politics of both Trump and Netanyahu. Sure. And both of these were wins for both of them in terms of delivering them. And that's why the peace plan is there at that time, et cetera, although it has been built you know, uh, uh, for a while. So yes, all that's true. You can't ignore the fact that if you don't have the other side of the table diplomatically, it seems a little stupid and silly. Yes, it makes it harder. Yes, exactly. Dead on arrival. I get it. And it probably is. It's a yes. Okay. So let's just say that you, you, you're an organization out there. You want to condemn it or whatever. Great. Kolakavo, do it. That's fine. Um, now, now let's leave that aside. Let's ask about the plan. Yeah. Okay, okay. Right. so right. Right. none of that actually gets to the plan. Now, there are lots of reasons you should object to it, and people have. Indeed. And on moral reasons, reasons of injustice, that you are t- that there are takings of uh, occupied territory unjustly uh, seized, uh, and um, you're proposing that as a path to peace. That's outrageous. Right. Okay, that, okay, yep, I get Let's argue about that. Let's figure that out. Um, and... You know, Thomas Friedman put in uh, in a column, imagine if the Palestinians had begun this process by saying, oh, this is interesting. I take it as your first offer. Let, let's talk. We would now be in a path to, you know, some. it's possible into some resolution. Um, uh, it's not that simple. It, it's obviously not that simplistic. Uh, but simply to say that this must be bad because of any number of reasons, uh, because particularly because of the political side of it, is, I think, not actually respecting uh, uh, the idea that there's a plan on the table. I, I don't think it's a good plan. I mean, the substance of it, I think there are lots of uh, injustices right. in it. Yeah, it's, it's, so, a hard, it's a hard one to, to But I actually would want forward. us to be able to look at, right. To, right. to have a seminar where we're actually dispassionately, saying, dispassionately what is objectionable about this plan? Right. And, well, there are all of these settlements that are just appear to be illegal, unjust takings. Let's talk about that. I'm not presupposing this is the right plan. I am saying that if HUC were to come out and just pile on condemnation, even if the political scientist professor thinks that it's a bad plan, we shut down debate within about any number of these issues. And it would be better to be able to, to ask the question, should the Palestinians say yes to this plan, given that it's on the table, take the Thomas Friedman approach? And I, I just fear that uh, of saying yes as a first offer, let's build on it, because every other time that they've said no, the next plan that comes back is even worse for them. So if we cared about the Palestinians pragmatically, should we be in a position of giving some justification to this plan right. so That's that a, they could... That it's, so it's, it's a completely be, rational question to and ask. we ought to be in the position of asking that question That's right. here. And, and, and asking the inverse. Should, is, does it indeed make sense for the Palestinians to reject this out of hand 
barely sight unseen, and and there's going to be an interesting conversation there about why, why not. But there can't be an interesting conversation if we come out and say this is dead on arrival, right. and right. and we cannot foster the kind of space for people to be That's able right. to consider that. If as an institution we, we just we stack react. the deck, correct, and it's if, that way with any number of political statements. That's right. And I, we we have to. Uh, create the culture where all of our students are feeling um, safe to be, to have the hard conversation, right. not safe to avoid the hard conversations. And by, and by the way, the tragedy, um, speaking as a, a professor, the tragedy to me is not just that there might be a person who has really legitimate, interesting, challenging ideas on the opposite side of the political spectrum that should get silenced, which to me is a bona fide tragedy of higher education in and of itself. The, the, the layered tragedy on top of that is the stunting of the potential curiosities of the person who's on the majority side of the, 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 the notion that they wouldn't be sparking and challenging and fertilizing that curiosity is, is maddening to me. The image that I just had in myself is imagine the person that gets that puts padding down for gymnastics right and and thinks that the purpose of the padding is to lie down on the padding. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Knowing the padding <laughs> is to go take some risks. Right. Go challenge in a way you might get hurt and understand that's the only way you're going to be stronger. Go in and don't say, you know, what you've said offends me. That doesn't add to the intellectual right. conversation. Make a note. If it's really uncomfortable, remove yourself and come back when you can. But try to get at the ideas at the core of it so that we can advance conversation because I am worried um, I'm worried that we are not we're not using the safe spaces that we're creating for that intellectual candor. I, I, I get that. I, they, there are interesting conversations afoot. I, uh, one of them on this podcast with uh, the president of Wesleyan about about mm-hmm. how how this plays out. What where what does safe space really mean, and and how does it ultimately how must it ultimately de- be deployed for the sake of. Yeah. Sparking these, these but I want to go back to where we started this this branch of the conversation. Yeah, that words can harm yes. because they carry with them meaning, yeah. and we have to by the safe space that we're creating does require us to enter these spaces. Each of us thinking about using language precisely mm-hmm. and accurately, and understanding and sensitively to the other person. President Rayfeld, Andrew, as always, it's been a great pleasure to talk to you, and I look forward to more conversations, but we won't be recording them all. That you know of. (laughs) Josh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for everything you do, you have done for HUC and for the College Commons podcast. It's It's a great delight. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the College Commons podcast, available wherever you listen to your podcasts, or at the College Commons website, collegecommons.huc.edu, where you can also stay tuned for future episodes.